Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the deputy editor. I'm sorry, I'm the, let me start over, I got my title wrong. <laughs> uh, Eric, I'd like to uh, correct you. I, I don't mean to start the podcast off with an argument, but uh, I believe you've made an error. Your title is executive editor. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm an executive. IndieWire, you are, old habits die hard. Everybody, uh, congratulate Eric. He has been promoted and uh, we know he runs the film team. We know that he's invaluable, but he now has uh, more responsibilities still. Thanks. And well, I'm still sitting in the same place and basically juggling the same responsibilities, but it's always nice to uh, have that kind of thing acknowledged. You know, it's a busy time. We're all kind of trying to plug into this machine as much as we possibly can. And we've got a lot of cool stuff going on in these parts. But well, you've got the New York Film Festival going exactly. on. So you and I both just saw the um, new Coen Brothers movie, which of course debuted in Venice, but we weren't there. And it wasn't in Telluride or Toronto. So we've both finally caught up with The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which is, by the way, the third chapter movie that I have seen in the last few days. I also saw uh, Bad Times at the El Royale, which is a chapter movie. And I also saw Suspiria, which is a chapter movie. Well, the, the distinction is uh, chapter movie versus anthology movie, right? Well, I'd like to suggest to you that um, uh, there's a quality of, uh, yeah, there's a distinction there. Definitely. Oh, so, so my See, correct. In other words, the Coens are separate stories for each chapter, yeah, not my, continuing the same story. My correction is that I actually saw this movie a few weeks ago at a private screening prior to the Venice premiere, and uh, was really curious because at that point it was fairly recent news that this was not going to be an anthology series; that it was actually coming out as a single movie in the fall. Although I've heard different reports about exactly how this went down or if it was really supposed to be a movie all along. But when you see it, it really does kind of feel like it could have been a miniseries. Yes, but I don't think either of those, any of those stories would have sustained a real hour-long episode. It's right? hard to say. I mean, they're very different lengths, very different tones, and some of them work better than others. There's a wacky, wacky musical at the beginning there, and my first reaction was, if the whole movie is like this, this bloody Western musical, I am there for it. But then it becomes something else. It's kind of a, a, a goofy robbery gone wrong story with James Franco, and then it becomes something else with and each of them is kind of leaning into a different kind of Western, a slightly yes. different look, a slightly different tone. I, 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 for some reason, I leaned, you know, I just sort of leaned into it and let it wash over me. And of course, I responded to the one that's a little bit of a romance in a way. But there's always something else going on, and they're playing around with a lot of ideas, a lot of philosophy, if you like. And I kept thinking about Tarantino. And the hateful eight, which uh, partly because the last story is set in a stagecoach, and everybody's sort of figuring out who they are. So you meet all these different characters, and they talk to each other in various ways that are inimitable for the Coens. Um, but I don't think it finally. I mean, it, maybe it really lends itself to Netflix. I, I don't think I it think lends so. itself to a theatrical release. One of the things that that, it, that from the Netflix perspective this fall that I think is fascinating to look at is, well, we won't know exactly how people watch this stuff, but movies like this and like Roma, it would be especially interesting to figure out 
what the user data looks like because Roma, you have this two and a half hour art film that's very black slow. and white, Spanish language. Yeah, and and how long do people kind of commit to that? With this one, it's like it's a hundred and thirty minutes long, but it's so many different stories, and they're all so different. It's it's almost a question of are people gonna skip through if they don't like this one or that one. I could see you taking breaks. I could see you going to the kitchen for a snack. I could see you going to the bathroom. I think it's a very interesting question. And that could work well on some. I mean, I I actually, I really enjoy the one with Tom Waits. That's my favorite too. That's my favorite. He's basically, with, with one small exception, no spoilers here, is the only actor in the entire thing, and well, he's, he's the only dialogue. one with any dialogue. Yeah, put it that way. Great. I mean, that that, that to me was the, the essence of, of what the movie is. It's these ideas that shouldn't necessarily be feature length, but work just within the constraints of a short. And it, and I do find it compelling for the Coens to do that. It's not Cohen their- fans will be there. I mean, that's yeah. the point. And it's gorgeous. It's it, needless to say, every shot. The, there's one shot where James Franco comes upon this uh, bank and he's sort of alone in, in, the, in the frame looking at the bank. And it's just stunning, some of the production design and, and, and the way that uh, Bruno Delamel, you know, shoots it. It's gorgeous. Um, so anybody who loves what good filmmaking can be will, will get a kick out of it. But are we yeah. saying it's one of the great things the Coens have ever done? No. No, it doesn't rank that highly, but it's not Lady Killers or something like no, that. No, 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 no. I would say that um, Tim Blake Nelson is the person because <laughs> he's so. I mean, he's but he's the guy. He's Buster Scruggs, right? And you start the movie with this incredibly outrageous character, and it, it, he is one of their great creations, in, in at least in recent history. Even if he, he's not there through the whole movie. And I don't know, is there any chance of mounting some sort of campaign for this guy in Netflix? No, no. But uh, that, that's, that's a great episode, too. Um, and, and it's outrageous. They, it has magical elements that are not to be believed and really beautiful, very stunningly shot. And, and they play around with music, too. Needless to say, that's the one where there were all kinds of references to Sergio Leone and, and, and his uh, Nino Rota, I mean, Ennio Morricone's, you know, kinds of soundtrack devices. And, and that's, that's fun. That's fun to sort of recognize what they're doing. So that worked out pretty well for the Coens to go to Netflix. All things. Yeah, I think it was a good save in a, in a, in a certain kind of way. The other chapter movies, by the way, um, what did you think of Suspiria? I haven't seen Suspiria yet. I'm okay. seeing it this week. I feel like I'm the last, because of the nature of our world, I feel like I'm the last person to, to get there. We but will I actually save it. I can't it. wait to debate oh, that one go with deep you. on that one. Yes, I know there's exactly. so many different opinions, which is No, no, there's lots to, to parse in that in that one. And then the other one, the did you see Bad Times at the El Royale? And the other one I need to catch yeah, up on. That, well, that one was sort of a surprise. Goddard is so smart. And what the chapter thing here, it's a device not unlike Slumdog Millionaire where you are he's using the rooms of the hotel and the characters in the rooms as jumping off devices to go back and tell their backstory of how they got there and that's so much fun and it works i'm curious about that one because it was one of those things where you know it was a closing night entry at fantastic fest but other than that fairly a fairly below the radar uh, studio release relative to other stuff that's coming out right now so i think a lot of people assumed it wasn't good so that and you can't tell what it is really from the trailer. It's hard to read. It, again, it's a question of tone, um, and and it has a a very good high style, uh, you know, tongue in cheek cast to it. Uh, but it's a violent, beautifully shot, well acted, 
uh, unpredictable, delightful movie. So the movie that I finally caught up with this week, and I feel like I was so behind on this one because it premiered at Sundance and I just missed it there and it just hasn't been a priority for me since then. And that's Private Life, Tamara Jenkins' movie with uh, uh, Paul Giamatti and Katherine Hahn. It's it's just really, 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 really well done. I mean, so polished. The story of this Brooklyn couple trying to have kids is, is just like, to me, the... There's no false, and when you say there's no false notes, a lot of times it's a cliche, but this movie is so in control of the kind of story that's being told here. The performances are are just like note perfect the whole way through. And I, I found it very funny, and I also found myself wishing Tamara, who hasn't made a movie since Savages, made movies more often because she is just such a, such a confident storyteller. I wouldn't call her a confident storyteller. I would call her I would call her a superb, conscientious, obsessive, and um perfectionist storyteller. She's in charge of the story. Who I'm not saying she's not in charge. I'm arguing with the word confident. And the word confident suggests that she knows what she's doing is superb. She's working and working and working. She took 10 years. This movie took two years to write. It came out of her life a bit, although she has a child, so she's she's a, she has a happy ending in her in her story. But she's really a, a, one of the great writer directors, and this is one of the great New York movies. So I agree with you about how good it is. I'm just saying that she's one. If you talk to her, she's one of those people that's very self-deprecating and always worrying about everything and always nervous about everything. So she's not, you know, going to ever suggest to you that she is always confident. Yeah. I mean, which often goes with a great artist. She may may say that, but I guess what I was just really impressed by as I watched this movie is that it really, it takes its time and it, it takes some swings in more dramatic directions. It's a very melancholic movie in parts, but it's also got the, this sort of neurotic humor to it. And a lot of it is is not punchline oriented. It's more like, you know... Comes out of the characters. Yeah, cut to Paul Giamatti gazing at something, unsure exactly what to do and whether or not he'll ever be able to resolve this problem with his wife or Catherine Hahn. And then you have all these other kinds of, you know, developments throughout the movie involving their their sort of niece who who they decide to 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 Kaylee to, Carter who's so yeah, good Kaylee Carter who's amazing discovery discovery yeah. and people should be talking about her more and, and who they decide to kind of be the the egg egg donor and then the way that this unfolds with her parents finding out is it's it's like it's set up for like a cringe comedy and there are some cringe comedy moments but it doesn't overplay those things. It, it And it doesn't go to a lot of obvious places right until the end, which I thought was very beautifully done. I agree. And I like, I like the ending. Um, you are married and, um, and, and you're in the early stages still of, of what I hope will be a very long and happy marriage, but marriage is what this movie's really about more, more than whether or not they get a kid or not, or any of those things. And I was just um, so impressed as you were with, with how beautifully uh, she tracks uh, the ins and outs of these two people who are fractious and angry and anxious and freaked out and upset and fighting on the street and yet the depth of their love for each other is apparent and, and the two also, actors really carry it 
it's an old school New York movie. I mean, you say it's a great New York movie. It's not a New York movie you see made very often anymore. I mean, there's a you know Woody Allen. What does old school mean? It it feels like there there's something about this this uh you know of a, 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 a people of a certain age say sort of approaching a midlife crisis very cultured highbrow you know new yorkers who are just sort of stumbling through life and and not sure they made the right decisions and going through that transition in both dramatic and comedic ways it, it, I, you don't see those movies being made nearly as much well I think part of what you and I are both responding to as as and I grew up in New York although I'm not there anymore as much as I'd like to be um, is is the it, she shows the layers of New York the humor of of the of this you know wide-eyed young girl uh, you know happily burbling to these pe two people that she adores saying, and you live in this rent-stabilized apartment on Avenue A, and, and, and you know, she's just insulting them in this incredible way, but she doesn't even realize it. And, and there's layers to this that are very sophisticated, and I, so, I loved it. So it's, it's hard to argue against the quality of this movie. It's a Netflix title going into the fall that isn't getting the attention of, say, Roma, but... It should. It, could. it, it should could get a get lot it. of attention. It should, it should as be. a screenplay, as yeah. directing. But here's the thing: there are several films. Uh, I would uh, I would add "Leave No Trace" from Deborah Granick, which we've talked about over the year as one of the best reviewed movies of the year. If you look it up on Metacritic, it's right at the top. And and you know, you could t you could you could. There's a way that people just don't give a certain kind of independent, thoughtful, character-driven drama without a lot of bells and whistles around it or huge innovations to write about, they give it a pass. And if it's directed by a woman, they really give it a pass. And I'm looking back at last year at Lady Bird and Greta Gerwig and realizing what an asset to that movie Greta Gerwig was as someone who could be embraced and who could sell her movie and who could bring her star charm to the whole process. And I see Deborah Granick and I see Tamara Jenkins and I, and I wonder, you know, if it's possible, but Tamara Jenkins does get a theatrical release, believe it or not, in about 21 cities. And well, it, that, it makes sense. He's, I mean, he's I, a I, beneficiary of what is happening for Roma and for 22 July. In other words, these other two auteurs are getting it. So she's getting it too. But this is a movie that, that actually does feel like a couple of years ago, Sony Classics might put it out or something. A traditional absolutely Sony Classics material, and, and that older our house audience will obviously will absolutely. Go. So it it's, it fits that perfectly. It started at Amazon, um, and then uh, they lowballed the budget and were. It was the Roy Price era of Amazon. So um, so she Netflix saved the day, and and sh and I I hope I hope I hope everybody watches this movie. So talk about some hilarious contrasts. You got this thing landing on Netflix all over the place. At the same time, people could go to the theaters to see Star is Born or Venom. And I got to say, this news story this week about, I don't know if it was a conspiracy theory, I don't know how much it was validated that Lady Gaga fans were like writing fake reviews online about Venom it was so amazing to me. The, the fact that there is this war between I don't know if they're Tom Hardy fans or, or comic book people or whatever. And the Lady Gaga stands is it's just it's 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 just like such a bizarre kind of 
culture conflict and and i don't i don't even know where how to resolve that but to me what's what's i think notable here is that the lady gaga is such a force of nature and that she has cultivated a very devout fan base and they more than anybody else are creating a foundation for this movie that could theoretically propel it to a kind of commercial success that people aren't even prepared for. Well, I, I have been as optimistic as you about the box office, but the truth of the matter is, as well as it's done at all these festivals, as well as the reviews have, have raved about it, um, Venom's gonna kick its ass this weekend, and it's gonna do 30 million or so, which is really, really good for what it is. But I mean, we're, we're, we're waiting for word of mouth to kick in before we see something that's as huge as you're suggesting. Well, but you could argue that Venom is sort of the, the ideal movie to kind of, it's, it's gotta do as well as possible. Critics are not hot on this movie, but it's a, it's a big expensive superhero movie. Stars and it'll Wars. probably decline dramatically. Yeah. So this word is probably is the worst great. received Marvel movie ever, right? I, I'm very curious about it anyway. I mean, since, I, since Kevin Feige took over. I haven't, haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I didn't prioritize it. The big screening was in the night that I teach, and, and I was okay with that. But I, I'm looking forward to what I think the character is very interesting. It's a darker kind of a superhero character who kills people and stuff. So there, there's something a little more morally complex, but it's also a hard character to get right because you can't play him for you know, obvious laughs in the same way. And I don't think it, it, the character doesn't have the same kind of visibility as a super, as a Spider-Man or Superman or whatever. So it, it's a tricky thing and it has to do well this weekend or else probably people lose their jobs or whatever. Whereas Star is Born is the kind of thing that, that will play and play and play. And it's the opposite, like the word of mouth is going to be positive for this movie. It's like every scene is designed to generate positive word of mouth for this movie, which isn't to say I, I didn't have issues with it, but it's like Lady Gaga is just so satisfying. And when you think about it, those fans are already there for her. So the fact that it delivers and then some on that front, it just feels like it's going to be an explosion. And it will. I agree with you. And then the other, um, and it will do well, I think, at the at the Oscars too. And she could be a Best Actress, a very strong Best Actress uh, candidate, could even win. And then you go to Barbara Streisand, who uh, is the at the top of this list. We did a story, Tom Brueggemann did a story about the 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 great uh, singers who have made movie careers and it's really interesting. I mean, there's Madonna and and there's uh, Diana Ross and Bette Midler. Bette Midler did well, uh, obviously, um, but and Whitney Houston. But it, it, the, no one compares to Barbara Streisand. I mean, she's just up there uh, at the top of the list. Check it out. Cher has a bit of a of a career, but uh, nobody compares to Barbara Streisand. So Lady Gaga has a shot at the at greatness now. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess. Although I, I would argue with you that she's so perfectly cast in this that it's going to be hard to that, maintain. That is true. It's yeah, sort of like yeah. where does she go from here? But of exactly. course, she can oscillate between acting and uh, her music career. So it's not like she necessarily needs to just launch into this one she can dip in do well go back to this thing and then wait for the next appropriate thing to come along and she's already got this chameleon-esque ability because when you think about it her pop image from just a couple of years ago is so radically different from the kind of stars born persona that she inhabits with this movie and she's been cultivating that over the course of a series of years 
with you know say the Oscar performances that she did and things like and and doing American Horror Story and stuff like that. So it's all part of a strategy, and you have to assume that there is a step that's already plotted out beyond this. But it'll be fun to kind of see her around a bunch in an award season because she always just generates so much attention. And these fans, they're they're more intense than the Shalomaniacs. I got to tell you, it's like if you thought the Timothy Chalamet campaign generated a lot of heat. Well, you see how what it's like every week when we have another reason to talk about Lady Gaga. I mean, hopefully we're not sick of her. I mean, you know, the, the hope is that she's giving us a, a good reason to keep talking about her. But it seems like it seems like she's going to be in the conversation in a major sort of way. And it's a pretty competitive field. Lots of best actress candidates. So yeah, well, there'll be some winnowing. I mean, we have to see if Kara Knightley you know, lasts in the distance, although Colette is doing very well, and she's gotten very good reviews. We have to see how uh, Glenn Close holds out with the, with the wife. That These are early releases that have to go the, the distance. Lady Gaga will go the distance. I'm not worried about, about her. I mean, Wildlife opened, and of course, everyone ever since Sundance has been raving but uh, about Carrie Mulligan's performance, but that movie has to do well at the box office and has to have some people see it before she has a chance. It's a, it's a, I know you, you and I have different feelings about this movie, but I, I think it's a really great one. So I, I hope. It's, I just don't think it's going to make it at the box office. That's my problem. My problem but, but with the movie. Just so good. It's not a, it's not an audience pleasing movie. No, but she, she is the reason. I, I think there is She's something. Superb I, in it. I don't know if pleasing is the right term, but she is. What happened got it. She's at the festival in- where she had a, a talk back to a critic? Uh, I don't think it was a critic. I think somebody at a, at, a, at, a, at a public screening started complaining about the character. You know, there's always wacky people at New York film festivals. So this character is a problematic character who behaves but, I mean, she really embraced- badly. You know, she's good in the role. But that's part of the reason why the movie isn't going to play, is that it was what that audience member was upset about. It, it, it could be. I mean, if, that, if that's the case, that's the case. Case, maybe it's a small film, but even so, she should be a point of conversation because I do feel like I mean, seeing that movie made me think more about how much I've always appreciated what she does, even in movies that don't totally work, like say Shame or something like that. She's still oh, she's great in that. Still the center of the frame. You know, it's just she just owns everything that she's in so well. So I think it'll be it'll be a good opportunity to keep talking about that in spite of the noise around some of the more prominent performances this season. So we also well, got um we've got some new movies that new are coming movies. into the uh, peaks. I have to tell you, I I try to avoid trailers, you know, because they mess with your head. They set up false expectations. The and, new old trailer was good. But you got to see this stuff because it's true. I mean, on some level, they are like short films these days because they have to tell you a story and get you excited about it. And it, and it does let you in it, with these kind of late in the season releases. It lets you in on something that up to, up until now we've had no real way to, to have a sense of what to expect here. I mean, the Mule, that trailer, seeing Clint Eastwood as in you know in his late eighties playing this guy who's like almost like a Walter Whiteish kind of a character, still he's ruined everything about his life, but he's he's in for one last draw, job as a drug smuggler. I mean, it looked tense. It looked touching. It's like all that stuff that you want. And Clint, everybody loves Clint. Clint is like more popular than Lady Gaga. 
because you think about the generational f- effect. There's <laughs> multiple generations. And he looks really good in the movie, right? Yeah, he does. Yeah. It was a good trailer. It was a good trailer because he narrated it. And he yeah. was telling you what the story was actually about, which was about regret and loss and one last job. We got a lot of information in that trailer. I, I can't wait to see the movie. He's, it's opening on December the 14th, opposite Roma. <laughs> yeah. I wonder yeah, how the Netflix people react to that. Yeah. yeah, and then and then you have um, Vice finally dropped its trailer, which is also very good, which shows you the stunt that um, Christian Bale is pulling for the nth time, where this time instead of losing weight, he's gaining weight yeah. again the and stunt. putting on the wig and putting it's, on the It's like the, the oldest towel. stunt in the book, though. Just the actor gets fat for part, you know. Well, it's he, like- but he's the of all the actors we know, and we put a story up about this, nobody has lost or gained more weight in the course yeah. of his career than True. Christian Bale. Not charticle. even Matthew McConaughey it's or It's a charticle waiting to happen. And we've been <laughs> hearing about that for a while because he's made appearances doing stuff, and all of a sudden he's a heavy guy but even nothing could really prepare you for the framing device of the trailer seeing him basically seeing dick cheney sitting there with sam rockwell as george bush i mean he's got all the mannerisms down i don't know if i'm sold on the movie from that trailer to be honest with you i I hope it's good i like the idea of as as the way the big short kind of demystified a fairly complex uh moment in american history with 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 the hindsight to explain how it screwed things up that that's what this movie is aiming to do uh, and to make it look kind of cool that like younger people, the younger people in the IndieWire office thought this looked cool. And it's a movie about friggin' Dick Cheney and they're excited about it. I mean, that, that aspect of it is interesting to me. If it it's goes up to, to the movie, you're right. And the question, the other question, something like the front runner, which is a similar idea, which is that they're going back to Gary Hart and his shenanigans in this era of of Me Too and how the press, you know, jumped on him. This, you know, I I'm not picking up a whole lot of interest in in knowing that story or revisiting that story, and I'm not sure how much interest there's going to be in this one. That's the yeah, question. it's it's a it is it's an open question. It looks cool, but I think you know it's a selling point is fail, right? You want to show up and see how does he do this, and, and the the trailer shows you that there are multiple moments in his life that you see going back to the Nixon administration. I mean, you see the younger guy too. So exactly how that all plays out and how much it sustains that narrative is an open question, but. McKay is is has certainly he's a smart entered, guy. Yeah, he's entered a new stage of his career where he's merging comedy with more s- substantial subject matter. No, he's and he's a political guy. He's got a the point here is how does this guy, this quiet operative, you know, manage to take over so much power, and what did he do with it? And I think that would be fascinating to see. So we've got those movies, and then we've already got. Uh, some really interesting stuff that's uh, opened in theaters outside of what's opening this weekend. We had Free Solo opening, and it opened really, really well. It was the best, one of the best specialty openings of the year. It like was over- the well of the of the docs of yeah. the docs. Yeah. So the 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 question, I mean, it, in other words, it opened better than those three movies that did so well over the summer: RBG and Won't You Be My Neighbor and uh, Three Identical Strangers, which are competing with it in the doc race. And I, what I love about Free Solo is that it has multiple narratives. It, it's, it's how did they make it? 
what and you know because you interviewed Alex Honnold um you know how did he do it how did he free solo up El Capitan and anybody who's watched the movie and the word of mouth on this has spread over since it took off at all the different festivals and the reviews are incredible too is is how did how did you know the the those two footholds those two crazy things that he has to do are etched in your brain if you see this movie the the tiniest fraction of a foothold and the tiniest moment of holding uh, the rock to get across. It's crazy what this guy did. Yeah, no, the, the, the filmmaking- But it has to be seen on the big screen. I, I do point. think that if, from an awards perspective, if I was somebody thinking about this from a strategy standpoint, I would, I would talk up the, uh, the filmmaking above all, because I, I think um, yeah. from editing standpoint, from a cinematography standpoint, from a sound standpoint, all of these things come together to really make this movie work. And, and I think a, an ordinary moviegoer can appreciate them because they, they're all talking about the climb. Right. But there, but the, the Jimmy Choo, who was, who was a climber himself had to figure out how to shoot this, mm-hmm. not just uh, physically and, and, and you know, in terms of placing the cameras and everything, but also, and which cameras and how far away they were, but also psychologically so that they wouldn't mess this guy's head up while they were, while they were shooting him. And, and uh, talking to him about that was, was really, really interesting. The, the question too is, is how, how, that narrative will be talked about in a way that's, oh, you're going to have to edit this. I'm so sorry, Eric. I'm just losing my train of thought. It has to do, it has to do with not only is it a good story or not only does it work on the big screen, but it also marks an advance in the way it was filmed and the way it was shot and a degree of risk so that it's sort of like the Matthew Heineman cartel land. The story of what he did to shoot the movie is as as dramatic as the actual. I think we leave that in because the thing is this movie makes you think is that it's not an easy movie to just pin down the kind of why it's compelling. It's not just about the climb. It's about the build up to the climb and the way that that is sort of, it has this almost metaphorical connotation to it that I think catches people off guard because you go and you, you just expect the daring climbing stuff and it delivers, but it's, it's sort of the culmination. Well, in a funny way, it relates to first man. Um, because, oh, absolutely. About you know, a, I wrote about this. <laughs> it's not just a survival story. It's a, it's about it, Maybe this is, uh, maybe I, I gleaned some of this, but it's, it's actually about people, you know, what are people capable of? Yeah, the parallels are very, are very overt. And maybe it's something going on in our society right now. But we need heroes, man. Yeah. That's what we need. And we're trying to define what, what that heroism looks like because we're not seeing it in the real world. No, we aren't. At the end of the day, we all know that Oscars are not the only thing that matters. We have to keep that in mind because we're going to keep talking about them for a while. So... In any case, okay, Eric. Get to catch up on more stuff, and next week we'll certainly have a list of things to to talk through. So have a good weekend. You too.